Welcome to the Scottish Folk Podcast. I am your host, Eileen Budd, artist, author and storyteller. And most of the stories that I tell are from Scottish oral storytelling tradition or they are stories that I have found whilst researching and working for museums. Today's story is one that I found whilst researching and it is a mystery from history. I hope you enjoy it. As some of you might know, I've been working with the Glenesque Folk Museum on an oral history project. We've been collecting the stories and histories from the people in the Glen. Now, Glenesque used to be really quite heavily populated, but over the years, people have drifted off into cities that they've left to do other things. So it's really important that we gather these stories up now. And we have an event at the end of March. And if you are in the area, please do come along. And if you have a story about Glenesque, please do share it with me, get in touch. Now, in the process of researching and discussing these stories and finding these stories, I stumbled across this mystery from history, which I am sharing with you. And this story does not yet have an end. So if you can think of one, (laughs) then let me know. In September 1938, two gamekeepers, George Reed and Tommy McPherson, found the body of a man in a river, ten miles away from the nearest road and in one of the most remote locations of the Cairngorms. The man was dressed like a city gent, suit, tie, dress shoes, except he had no head. They did find the head, it was lying just a wee bit further away, And although the police couldn't figure out how the man had been decapitated, they were pretty certain that wild animals had removed the head to a different location. A hundred yards away from the river lay the man's briefcase containing pyjamas and toilet paper. A shaving kit was found on top of a stone not far away. A police inspector, two police constables, a photographer, George Reed the gameskeeper, and a pony man with his garran, that's a highland pack horse, took four hours of walking across peat bogs and moorland to reach the man's body. No form of ID was found on him, not even a wallet, and the only clue as to where he had come from was a two-day bus tour ticket from an Aberdeen bus company and it was dated March 14th, 1938. The man has still never been identified, and the witness accounts only seem to raise more questions than the answer. One of the strange things about this mystery is that nobody fitting his description had been reported missing from anywhere in Scotland around those dates. Nobody had been reported missing from guest houses, from hotels, from walking sites. It was a complete mystery. And what was he doing there, dressed like he was going to a business meeting in the middle of the Cairngorms? It made no sense. It still doesn't make any sense. A few witnesses came forward, but their stories don't make a lot of sense either. I'm going to share those with you. And then I'm going to share one witness account that hasn't been recorded before. In 
Witness 1. James Anton. James Anton was staying in a bothy in the Larrick Grew when, at 5am, a loud knocking at the door woke him up. A man dressed in a business suit was standing there at the door, and he wanted to know the way to Braemar. Now James said that the man had been on the Perth to Inverness train, thinking that it would take him to Braemar. And for those unfamiliar, Inverness and Braemar are on opposite sides of Scotland, divided up the middle by the Cairngorms mountain range. So he was on completely the wrong train. Now, someone on that train had joked that he could take a shortcut from Aviemore to Braemar via the Larragru, which is a 30-mile trek over some rough terrain. A heck of an effort, even for the most experienced hillwalker with a full gear. And James has said that although the man was exhausted at that point, he was willing to give it a try, and so he went on his way. Now, what are the problems with that? Well, for a start, James Anton said that the man had been on a train, but we know that the body had a bus ticket on him. James said that he had started from Aviemore, but we know that the bus ticket was an Aberdeen train. Maybe the two things are unrelated, and maybe he did get the train, and he had happened to go on an earlier bus tour. Or maybe not. The other thing is that James makes no mention of the man's accent or where he came from, where he lived. I mean, that seems strange to me because one of the first things you say to someone in Scotland is, oh, where are you from? You know, or you'll try and guess their accent. You know, oh, is that a wee bit of Glasgow? You know, that kind of thing. There's no mention of that. And then the other thing is, if you're an experienced walker, and you meet somebody who's not dressed for the weather and they're not clearly got no equipment on them, would you just let them go off like that at 5am when you know it's another easily 30 miles over terrible terrain? I don't know. I think probably not, but I could be wrong. Witness 2 Frank Ripley. Frank Ripley, from Dundee, came forward at the time and said that he had been out walking with his pals and they were all about four miles outside of Aviemore when they'd met a man dressed in a suit, carrying a briefcase and a walking stick and looking like a businessman. And this businessman had asked him if he was going the right way to Braemar. And the lad said aye, and then the man kept going. And Frank said at the time that he thought the man was maybe just checking the route and then he would go properly and do that walk in the morning, even though darkness was setting in at the time. Frank believed that this businessman must have got lost on that route during the time he was walking in the dark. And that's how his body ended up in a river on the southeast side of Ben Avon. There's a few problems with this, though. So, the Larrick Grew, for those who don't know, is about three and a half hours walk outside of Aviemore, and Braemar is many more hours walk from there. 
Experienced walkers like Frank Ripley and all his pals would have known that. So why wouldn't they have said? Or why wouldn't they have asked? It doesn't make any sense. You can see a man, he's not dressed for the weather, it's getting dark, and he's checking that he's going the right way to go to Braemar. The idea that he's just checking the route, does, it seems a bit implausible for me. I think that's maybe just something he's told himself. And then, again, he doesn't mention any accent, they don't ask him where he's from, you know, nothing. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? The police report. The police had walked for miles and miles to find the body, and they had been led by George Reed, one of the gamekeepers who had made the first grisly discovery of the body and had alerted the authorities. And when the group of people, the police officers, the inspector, the photographer, George Reed, and the pony man in his garden, when they arrived at the scene, they moved the body out of the river and then they searched for his belongings and his ID and also his head, which they could not work out how it had been decapitated from his body. And that might have been to do with the fact that they believed the body had been there for about six months. And this tied in with the receipt that they found on him, the only form of ID, the only clue as to where he had come from. The receipt for an Aberdeen bus ticket from an Aberdeen bus company, Simpsons, dated March 14th, 1938. They put out multiple inquiries and appeals to the public to see if anybody was able to ID him or if anybody had been reported missing that matched his description. But nobody came forward. In all my digging around and researching this story, one of the most compelling witness accounts is from a man called Willie Finlay. And Willie Finlay was interviewed or spoken to by a writer and a hillwalker, Ian Murray, who knows the Cairngorms really, really well and has written extensive books about it. Now, Willie Finlay was just a wee boy in 1938 and he and his granny met a man dressed in a, a business suit. And I've got to say, it's, it seems to tally up a lot more than the other witness accounts, but see what you think. Witness 3. Willie Finlay As a young boy, Willie Finlay lived at the farm of Blair Glass at Glengairn. Uh, he told Ian about a time when Willie was out with his granny and they met a strange man wearing a raincoat, he says. My mother was doing at Ballater and she was coming off Strachan's bus at the end of the Piper Road. My granny and me set off through the snow to meet her and we were only about half a mile from the house when we met a man coming, walking up the road. And my granny said to him, where are you going? I'm going to the village, the man replied. Well, she'd tell him that he wouldn't find any village away up in that area and he said I'll get to the village sometime and went on his way. He was wearing a raincoat which was flapping loosely around his body. He was tall, slim and well spoken. And Granny was worried in case he stopped at Blair Glass and went into the barn for the night and so they turned around and 
went back to the top of Blairgas Road and they could see the figure gone on the road beyond Blairglass Farm. Now they watched the man as he walked away into the distance, crossing the patches of snow in the moonlight. Now, we might never know if this was the same man whose body was found in the river. The things fit, like the dates, that he was heading in the right direction to where the body was found. He was dressed as the same as the other descriptions, except for the raincoat. Willie mentions a raincoat. Now, nobody else mentioned that the man was wearing a raincoat. And no raincoat was found on the body in the river. However, several weeks before the body was found, a raincoat had been seen in the river. The same river in which the body was found. Coincidence? The things I find compelling about that last witness account, Willie's account, is that... The man is travelling in a completely different direction from the other witness accounts. He's heading north, and he's heading pretty much directly to where he was, where he was found. The raincoat, well, I think that's a really interesting coincidence. It wasn't mentioned, it wasn't found on the body, but it was found be just before they found the body. So that's interesting. And then the other thing is that his granny tried to warn him. You know, she tried to say, well, you're not you not find anything there, you know. And not only that, but they went after him to see where he was going and if he would stop somewhere. And there's the mention of an accent. You know, he said that he was well-spoken. Now, I don't know about you, but this one seems the most compelling to me, even though it was by a wee boy and even though he never came forward. And who knows why? Who knows the reasons for that? So, anyway, there you go. I'd like to say a special thanks to Christine, Ramsey, Angus and Russ for all your support in what I'm doing with the podcast and also what I'm doing on Instagram. Your support means the world to me. Thank you so, so much. Also, thank you to my dad for pouring over the maps for this episode with me. <laughs> been listening to the Scottish Folk Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and if you did, please share it. Tell people about it. Come and find me on Instagram. I am at Eileen Bud. You can buy me a coffee. The link is in my Instagram bio and all the money from that goes to the work that I do with the Travelling Folk Museum bringing Scottish folklore, folk history and folk traditions to people all over Scotland in museums, libraries and schools. And that's it. Until next time. <laughs>